Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. <laughs> hey, welcome to the podcast. Another fantastic... Are we really doing this? <laughs> we have to start we, we're, going, we're just going right into it? I think I'm cursed. I think there's a curse, some kind of hex on me recording. Yeah. I, every time. Every time. Any, anytime you do a three-person one. No, anytime I do anything, it uh, starts over. So welcome, welcome to Catholic to, Stuff Podcast. We just recorded eight minutes of the most brilliant banter you've ever <laughs> heard. Gone now. Yeah. Again. Oh, it's bad. Let's just do a summary of it. Well, basically... Goebel's cooking today. He cut his hair. He cut his I mullet. He looks like Flat Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> the loon clock woke me up at 8 a.m. Phil Collins' drum solos aren't nearly as impressive in the supermarket anymore. Right. Yeah, Goebel has pissed off most of the uh, King Super staff. We've been living on Airborne and Z-Quill gummies, which are yeah. tasty. <laughs> okay, that's, this is actually pretty impressive. We're doing all of the banter in like less than 30 seconds. This is everybody's dream. It's like a banter synopsis here, 30 <laughs> exactly. seconds of banter. And that's it, because... It was great to be together. It was great to do this. I am seriously like almost 10 years of technological failures. It's like, how is this possible? I don't know. You know, maybe a desktop would be good on all I honesty. think we got to get yeah. a desktop. Yeah. Okay. Sounds great. So I'm in Colorado. We made fun of Evan Coop. That was we a made fun of Evan Coop. Which is a bit dangerous because Debbie Coop does listen. Debbie. Debbie, his mom. The doop. The doop. She'll. The doo-wop, wop, wop, the doo-wop, wop. Right, but Evan wants, he wants another chance. He talked really quickly into the microphone and said really great things. But we couldn't get him to speak louder. He's shy Ronnie. He was shy Ronnie, but he's going he's gonna to do it again. So so that's it. That's it. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. It was perfect because we were like concluding the banter as Father John's uh, like uh, watch went off to kind of announce the end of the banter. The loon clock rang. We clinked our glasses, and then the the thing started over. We're really kind of a one cut thing. We don't do multiple. Like you get one cut, don't you think? Yeah. With the way we podcast. Well, yeah. I mean, you're you lose it's it. It's just like the same. Mojo's out. Everything's gone. Because we don't prepare. We so don't it's prepare. like if, if you tried to fake your way through it again, it just wouldn't. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So frustrating. Which is why the analogy is fitting. Nothing. The analogy that was Nothing. Yeah. Not yeah, exactly. But sick, <laughs> no. sick puppy. Just shut up. <laughs> shut up. Just move on, .org. Quit pulling your beard hair out on do you know, this side. But do you know this? I'm telling you. This isn't, this isn't that. That's where you grab it. No, I don't. When you I go nervous. like this. I know. But I go like this. You. It just needs to be trimmed. I think you need to just stop pulling it out. I just need to trim it. Okay. Just my opinion. All right. We were also talking about something at the end of the banter that I wanted to circle back on. What was it, though? There was something. We were doing something, and then I got Was interrupted. it a transition to the topic? or No, it was interrupted by your... The alarm went off, and then the loon clock fired off, and then we wrapped up the podcast, and then we realized it wasn't even recording. Scotland? We're talking about Scotland. Oh, Scotland. That's what it was. Yeah, there was really? two people I wanted to talk about at the beginning. Yeah, so um, Max... What was I going to say about Max DeSalis? Oh, yeah, he thinks you're the funny one. He sa- you said that already. Yeah. On this well, one? That was, no, on, not on this so, one. So, yeah, so anyways, Max, Max's mom, we're going to get into this in a second here. Oh, here comes the delay. Is this how this works? Yeah, it yeah. just goes everywhere. It drives me crazy. <laughs> what an operation. So Max is the 14-year-old son of Stephanie Bielo, different last name. She's the neuro, neurobiologist. We're going to talk about this We're in a second. We're going to talk about today. But Max says Goebel's the funny one, and he really wants a photo with Goebel. Okay. This is what we were talking about. Cosden, different people that we're meeting who are not becoming friends. This, this is what I wanted to ask right. you. You 
we have a podcast. We like to meet people through it, but then they become friends. Up oh, here's the maintenance. Oh guys. yeah! By the way, the hey, maintenance oh, guys yeah. are on the podcast today. Hey, Joe hey. Joe Starcevich and Randy Jendel. It's Randy Jendel's 59th birthday today. Happy birthday, Randy! Did, <laughs> any luck? How old are you? 48. Are you really? Oh wow! Nice guess. I was Pastor. close. We have a, a bit of a water situation here at uh, Schloss Goebbels. We have no water, basically, but they're on it. Thanks, boys. It actually is probably really good that you don't have a mullet. That would take a lot longer to wash, right? That's probably why you don't have water in this My place. My bald head. So yeah. much, is so it much conditioning. Is by a hair clog? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so this phenomenon of uh, you get to know people through the podcast, and then they stop listening to the podcast. So we're like, we're actually def- destroying our own thing, as if Mike Schmitz wasn't pistol-whipping us bad enough already. Father Mike Schmitz to you. Okay. So I think that the uh, there's something about, you know, maintaining the base, I guess, you know. I think we need to do, Olaf, we need to do what Goebel does, just treat everybody like crap, and then <laughs> they'll keep listening. Because you keep them coming back, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. You're ready to go cook, aren't you? Ready to go cook. <laughs> Bye-bye. Folks, I'm making some chicken tetrazzini tonight. I'm making peas with mushrooms, which I didn't actually think was a thing, but apparently it is. Um, and if you have any recommendations on a good dessert, I need it within the next hour. But this podcast is coming out in like two weeks, so good luck. Okay, so if you were asked right away what's your favorite dessert, you're going to somebody's house. I did this last mm-hmm. night, and I threw them off with mine, and they were very – the mom – was very upset that it wasn't a good enough one because it was kind of a strange request. What do you say? Ooh, it's, that's hard for me because all of my favorites are have to be made by my mom. Yeah. Like lemon meringue pie, pumpkin pie, no-bake cookies. Okay, moms um, don't count. You're okay. going to somebody's oh. house. You're going to a prisoner's house. What's your favorite dessert? Tiramisu. Okay. Yeah, I, I usually throw that question back to them and I say, whatever is your favorite thing you like to make? Mm. Because if you say, I like... Did you say bars? Blueberry crumble. Blueberry, that's what I was actually going to, that was my second thing. I was yeah. going to say blueberry pie, but yeah, blueberry. Anything with blueberry buckle. Blueberry crumble's tough because it's just like, you got to get the balance of the crumble, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yep. So, but I say, like if they say, what do you want for dinner? I say, whatever your favorite thing is to make. Because if I said, oh, I want lasagna, but they don't make lasagna, then it's going to be garbage. Can or, I just say, don't make lasagna if priests come over for dinner? Can I just what say that the, publicly? But, no. Can what I, if their lasagna is really good? Do not make lasagna. We have so much lasagna. We get a lot of lasagna. <laughs> the only person I know who still likes lasagna after being a priest for eight years is Mike Rapp. Yeah, he's I, a lasagna guy. I you don't too? like it. Yeah. No, yeah, I don't like it. Okay, maybe this is just. I'm not, I don't want to speak on behalf of all priests, but I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, three quarters of a priest's weight is uh, lasagna <laughs> and communion wafers. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I don't know. You get hungry. All right, so you just you just punt on the question. That's very funny. You, you don't. No, no. no. If answer. somebody asks me what's what's what if they press you for it, um, I would say I would say, gosh, tiramisu is kind of not tough. apple. Anything cherry? Well, cherry cherry cobbler, cherry cobbler, cherry cobbler. But again, like it can be very like if they just go to the store and they get the cherry like you know, from the can, right. it's just, it, it has like an acidic taste in the back of your throat, just like store-bought meatballs. I'm like, don't waste my time. Like, <laughs> I've wasted half of my life with uh, store-bought cookies and meatballs. I can't afford it anymore. Right. So I just say, sorry, I'm not going to eat it. This is called hashtag clericalism. <laughs> I do want to say, though, I want to I give a dessert. complaining 
about uh, the kinds of food they're being fed. I, I want to give a dessert that, that, that people can actually send to us or give us in church. So I'm going to say peanut butter cookies. Peanut butter cookies. Absolutely. So I would. Who was, the, who was the person that made those meatballs? Uh, remember, you brought them home the other day? Who was that? The Benura family. They do the Bethlehem handicrafts. No. It wasn't <laughs> Meatballs. There were meatballs Italian in what I brought. Meatballs. The Benura family made uh, Middle Eastern food, and it was amazing. But they, at no point do they make Holy Land meatballs. Weird. They make like a little mint thing that they mash into like a little th- whatever meat looking thing. This was not in that in that metal tray with everything else. The oh. tin tray. You made. You had somebody. Remember, you went over to somebody's house and they and they had uh, 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 spaghetti and meatballs. Okay, guys, nobody cares. Probably my mom. No, I know. Did she do that? Yeah, she they did. were amazing. Oh, there we go. They right. were amazing. And I tasted one reticently because I was like, this could be store-bought and I'm not going to do it. And then when I found out it was homemade, I had four. You know what was uh, a joy of listening to the podcast of you two a couple months ago was Reflections on Seek. You give oh, this yeah. nice kind of spiritual relationship. <laughs> His is all about food, which, by the way, those nachos were crap. All right, They were bad nachos. But and you had the most amazing meal I did, of your life because you told me, quote, you're not going to like it. You're not going to like it. But all you do is complain whenever I order food that you don't like. That's so, true. So then, That's because you order, what's the breakfast, the hash? Corned beef hash. Always. He always orders corned beef hash. They, you know this guy's already it. heard this story. Okay. That guy's already heard that story. Come up with a new one. Meatballs. I Ar- made breakfast. Arlen Borgen, I, I Arlen made Borgen breakfast. takes That's us true. to get Swedish meatballs. Guys, I got the best place for Swedish meatballs <laughs> in Portland, Oregon. Ikea. 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 <laughs> We've That's told these we stories before. Cosden has already heard these stories. Cosden, I'd like to give a shout out to Cosden, who knows every story. And he goes, you know how he described it as? He goes, talking to you? Because he's now become a friend. He's, he's, he's uh, one of these grad students. and He's actually not a grad student. He's married to a grad student. But he goes, it's like um, we're on the seesaw, and it's just like completely one-sided. He's like, we got to try and, like, I got to spend, like, I don't know, a year just asking him questions about himself to try and kind of bring the seesaw back in order. So, But now we won't listen to the podcast anymore because, you know, he got the real deal. Close. He got the real deal. Folks, uh, you're going to settle in with the pilot of Father Michael O'Loughlin and uh, Father John Neppel. I'm going to take some uh, Z-Quil and uh, some more bourbon, and I'm going to go to King Supers. We'll see you later. Try not to tick off the uh, baggers this time. See you, buddy. Thanks. We'll get the picture later. We'll get the picture later. Max, we'll send you that picture. And if you want a sous chef, I'll be up later. Perfect. And if you leave dishes, I'll be back later. <laughs> Great. There you go. See you, buddy. All right, Olaf. So um, first off... Goodbye. It's nice to be uh, back here with you. I yeah, can't say nice too. things around him. Sorry, but, real uh, quick. Does he really not want me to shoot him with the Nerf gun anymore? I don't know. That was, he I was a little touchy. He was, serious. Yeah. he was a little touchy about the Nerf gun. Yeah. Shot, him, shot him behind with the Nerf gun, and he kind of turned on He me. has a thing about being shot, I guess. You know, But uh, I think you're okay. Okay. I think he's nervous about I'm the We'll try it again. Okay. The guy's unbelievable. He, he cooked this feast this morning for breakfast. Yeah. You're fasting already. I know. I'm on day one lunch. of the great fast. Yeah. So it's just, it's just the two of us. And I'm eating this. I mean, it was like better than anything we could have eaten out. <laughs> yep. Um, and now he's starting a huge dinner for tonight. So that's his love language. It's his love language. Being a mom. He's yeah. the mama. <laughs> mama Goble. So, anyways, he's off to cook. Um, great to be with you. I wrote you a couple weeks ago saying I had all these ideas about things I wanted to podcast with you about, but I think we're going to take a different direction today. Cool. And try and pull together a couple of things that. Um, we've been doing in Rome that we haven't actually been able to talk about because uh, Licky and I, um, we got a podcast again, but haven't been able to do mm. it for a bit. So um, first I'm going to ask you, uh, what's your familiarity with Giassani? 
Um, I mostly hear secondhand through Father Barstad or Andrew Whaley. Okay. They tend to talk about him uh, a lot, yeah. but I, I don't have any personal experience reading him. Okay. So there's a um, last year uh, biography of, of Luigi Giussani um, was uh, translated. This is the Italian one by Alberto uh, Savonara, Savona, what is it? Savarana, hmm. The Life of Luigi Giussani. Okay. It was sent to me by, I believe. Water's fixed. Water's fixed? Nice. All right. Good man. I believe it was sent to me by um, a one Jonathan Gailey. Ah, I need okay. to check. And so I want to talk today about a couple of things from uh, Giussani's book, and I want to tie it into this talk that Dr. Stephanie Bielo, Max DeSalis, his mom, mm. gave us um, on the neuroscience of community. Okay. Which I just breached this topic with a priest upstairs, and uh, it was like, ooh, it's already, yeah. this is like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's causing a, some tension. I like it. Yeah. I like that it, it, it's going to press some buttons. Yeah. Basically, what she's saying is that we can prove scientifically uh, why we need to live in community, mm. not just be in relationship with each other, but actually live hmm. in community, which is basically the science behind the community. Because then I, I, went, I went off on that because I, I jumped into the conversation later, and I was thinking that, anyway, that, 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 that there's a difference between, living alone and still having a very engaged social life with the same people and then but you're still going home to you know your own place you have full control over and, and no accountability exactly yeah yeah and so we're going to dive into this here for a bit i gotta watch nice. the time though because we got a lot of content cool. here and um yeah for banter haters you got a you got a freebie today yeah. <laughs> your prayers have been answered because it was annihilated um we got to make sure we don't lose this again because i never really know what's going on with this computer mm-hmm. so um so first off uh We'll, we'll start with uh, Giassani and a couple of points because what I want to do is I don't want to just talk about the neuroscience of community because I know nothing about biology. Mm. And even to try and say things like, um, <laughs> it's <laughs> funny, terms. <laughs> Joe, Joe McGill, favorite Scottish seminarian, and myself, we were explaining this to somebody and he kept talking about enzymes. And, and it was like, I don't think enzyme, I think what he meant was serotonin, <laughs> but he kept talking about enzymes, enzymes, and, was, and somebody was like, what? this has nothing to do with enzymes, so I, apparently that's not going to be the case, so that's you're talking funny. to guys who study theology and, and philosophy all day, we don't exactly know, but we will get into a couple of points from her uh, talk, and uh, Dr. Bielo, I hope this is okay that I'm uh, sharing some of your research, but first off, Luigi Giussani, if you're not familiar with him, um, I think one of the most amazing priests of the last century. Hmm. Cause has been opened, um, and he is most famously known as the founder of the movement Communion Liberation. Yep. So we talk about the movements that have happened in the church in the last uh, century. You know, the Holy Spirit kind of bringing about these ecclesial movements that are not exactly um, structural. So they're not like dioceses, parishes. They're not top-down organizations. They kind of just they're just kind of coming from below, and they're huge. Hmm. But the more I'm in, in Europe, the more I realize it's like, well, there are a number of movements, but there are really two movements right now, the neocatechumen way and community liberation. In, in, in the world in general or just here? In, in the world in, in general. The okay. I think so. Okay. In terms of just size, yeah, um, there, are, there are a lot of movements. Charismatic movement is a different thing. Yeah. We could talk about that some other, some other time. Legitimately movement, but just kind of a different... A different thing. So Giussani is a huge, huge, uh, important figure. And what I love about him is, um, well, just who he is, and I'm very inspired by his life. I have to admit, I only read the first third of the biography, okay. which is still like 400 pages, because uh, it was written by an Italian, oh, so wow. nothing can be you know, under 1,000 pages. But he is a, um, a priest of Milan um, who um, passed away in 2000, 2005, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but he uh, he was born in 1922, 
And, and, and here's where it's interesting is he's just one of these brilliant um, people, but had a, he was one of these um, people who just perceived in such a way as he, he, saw, he saw the future. He saw, he saw through things. So it's Milan. It's the 1950s. Churches are full. Catholic world at its height. You know, you're in post-war rebuilding Italy. And he's like, secularization is going to destroy mm-hmm. the young people. We have to re-evangelize, but we have to re-educate them, right? It's not just about um, hitting them with more content of the faith. We have to teach them how to think, how to go into this. Now, we've done a number of podcasts that have tied into Giussani, one in particular on the, on the religious sense, so I don't want to talk about that today, about him as an educator, which is super important. But just how he put community back at the center of the, the religious experience, the Christian experience, yeah. that it's, it's not something secondary, but it's, it's actually at the very heart of the encounter with Christ is that it always happens within the context of a community. And I wonder if, you know, coming from the Eastern theology and the Eastern perspective, that that might already even be something you guys understand more than we in the West. Well, that's actually a debate we're having right now because it, it, is, it is really interesting. Um, I had a dinner with an Orthodox friend the other night and he converted from Byzantine Catholicism to Orthodoxy. And so he's, to see the difference in him, for me, he was a parishioner of mine to when, when he went Orthodox, and he's he kind of the the talking points among the Eastern Church here in the U.S. for him. He said, you know, in the West, in the, in the Roman Catholic Church, you uh, require attendance at feasts, Sundays and holy days. They don't they don't have um, days of obligation in, in the Orthodox Church. Um, so you, you don't have mandatory feasts, but you have mandatory fasts. So they emphasize the fasts much more. And, and it's, in my opinion, many people in the East Byzantine Catholic and Orthodox get extremely legalistic, which, which seems to go against the entire idea of, of Eastern Christianity. But, you know, uh, you can have, you know, you, you can't have meat, dairy, wine, or oil during the great fast, but you can have all the fake stuff. Like anything that tastes like meat, dairy, wine, like you can have all that stuff. Wine is different because it's alcohol, but you, so you can have all these faith things, which makes no sense to me because you're saying it's supposed to be ascetical, but here you are being legalistic with exactly what you eat. So when you, when in our parish right now, we're having this conversation about the difference between is the parish, what is the role of community in the parish? Because a lot of people come to our parish for the community, it has amazing community. And other people say it's not about community at all. It's about your personal holiness and it's extremely individualistic, or at most, a family. So we people live an average of probably 30 minutes away from our parish. Mm. So community's hard. I mean, as far as coming together for like an evening thing. Um, so we're doing a lot online and things like that. But there, there is a... I, I refuse to believe there's a difference between, you know, a life of asceticism, a life of, of holiness, a life of, uh, you know, living the, the ideals that are very monastic and kind of having a, a strong, thriving community life where you're doing that together. But right now, I think people in our parish are trying to, many people are arguing for personal holiness apart from community. Other ones are arguing for community is, is primary and will lead to personal holiness. Yeah, that's an interesting um, kind of way of framing it, the yeah. question of personal holiness and community, because they, they are in relationship. But I think the, the important thing is that they're intimately tied together. Mm-hmm. You can't have one without the other. Right. That we exist in relationship. I have this kind of looking at the church from a, kind of larger ecclesiological side, I think that in many ways the West focuses or even expresses the unity of God in a way, in the East that expresses the, the, the Trinitarian sure. relationality of God in a way, there's, there's kind of a complementarity there. Not that they're exclusive, but just sure. that they, they kind of manifest that. But in the West, we just, and especially with Protestant individualism in the culture, we just are very, mm. we really think it's just, it's my game 
my golf game, you know, and everybody's kind of doing their own thing, but it's like we're, we're really not primarily in relationship, just me and Jesus. Yeah. I'd be interesting to read this biography you're talking about because it, I'm sure the Holy Spirit was knew what he was doing at the time and saying this right. is a time of emphasizing community because the society's moving in the direction of individualism, and so the, the church is going to be a light for the place of community to kind of bring society out of that and attract people through its thriving community. Right. So the Giussani doesn't just start with, this is what I like about him, is he doesn't start with, we need community, and then gets into that mm. kind of fake, you know how fake and kind of um, empty, it can, it can get kind of nebulous of like, we need to build community. Yeah. What a, just a terrible phrase, you know, yeah. because it already has missed the point. Right. Uh, so Giussani, the community arises out of the, the human question of, you know, what is a man? And he has that great line that he always quotes from uh, an early church father where he says, when I met Christ, I discovered myself to be a man. Mm. And that, that's been haunting me for the last few months and just kind of reflecting on that comes from Caius Marius Vittorius, Vittorinus, something like that. So um, when, I, when I met Christ, I discovered myself to be a man. And what he found was, this is the author saying this, he says, he realized that the weakness of the Christian experience, this is in the 50s, derived from the fact that faith had become incomprehensible because people's needs were not taken seriously. Mm. Giussani would make a, a, a manifest of keeping one's own humanity awake as a decisive factor of people's lives at any age. So the question becomes, the experience of encountering Christ is contingent upon the awakening of one's humanity. Mm. And that's what brings about the need slash the kind of indispensable and essential nature of Christian community. Hmm. If you're not asking the human question, if you're, not, if you're not trying to live the faith as an encounter, as an experience, as an event, the question of humanity really gets sidelined. Yeah. You know? And I live with a lot of intellectual guys. Some of them are really good guys, but you can see how quickly in the spiritual life or in the intellectual life, humanity gets kind of, it just gets kind of bracketed. And that's why the question of community doesn't even make sense. It's yeah. like, well, why? I don't need that. Yeah. Because we've bracketed humanity. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Giussani, it's, his project is not like we need to be together. It, his project is about we need to be human if we want to really allow the event of Christ to transform our life. And that means we re, we restore this communal structure of human existence. Yeah. Yeah. There's... I, I love that that meme. You know, it, it just shows a, a picture of Christ. You know, I don't even know who painted it, but a traditional picture of Christ. And it says, "Nobody talks about Christ's miracle of having twelve close friends in his thirties. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah. you know, there, there's there, there's something. Even the fact that I was talking to somebody else, a, a mom yesterday in spiritual direction, and talking about how how Christ was the best pastor and in a sense the best parent, and still lost one of the twelve. Yeah, like we, we as pastors, we very mad at ourselves because we lose someone from the parish, like this guy that went orthodox. I mean, I, I still, I'm still like, what what did I do wrong? What yeah. kind of got it differently? But I mean, I didn't lose him. He's orthodox. Thank God. He's still apostolic and receiving the sacraments. But there there was something about that, and and. Christ himself is in community with the Trinity. Christ himself was in community with, with his followers, you know? Um, yeah. So it is, it is, it, we're, we're lacking something. It's almost like, um, like some sort of deficiency in our body. We're lacking some mineral or, or some vitamin, um, to make us healthy and community. We're stressing community, but community is just part of the picture of being Christian. You know, it's like, like well, Christ, our Christian faith and the church is lacking, a real sense of community interdependence upon each other. Um, but if you, if you overemphasize community, you're going to miss the rest of what is Christ. Right. So just to be truly Christian, we say that about companions, right? We're, we're not, we're not creating a movement of the church that's different. We're just trying to live out authentic diocesan priesthood right. as it, as it should be lived. Right. By yeah, the community. Yeah. 
the um, yeah, that's a great line you said to them about the um, the, the Christ losing one, you know, yeah. because he takes human freedom seriously. Yeah, uh, even in his providence, even in his kind of infinite wisdom and perfection, he takes it very seriously. Yeah. And so, the experience of community needs to kind of, and if it's if it's actually cultivating and awakening humanity, then it must also as well be yeah. that. But yeah, you hit your mid thirties. You get in your vocation for a couple of years. Yeah. We're all five, ten years in now. I think I'm seven. You're what? Thirteen. Thirteen. I'll yeah. be eight this year. So honeymoon's over. Yeah. And uh, the seven-year itch or whatever they say, um, you can see how everybody's separating into their islands. And I don't want to go back into the parochial solipsism, which I already kind of pissed off a bunch of our friends. Um, <laughs> I loved you, it, though. Uh, thank you. Absolutely. But I think that it's we're settling into our worlds. And I don't know. You have such an interesting little experiment here because you have a small enough community parish where people can, it, like, it's possible. Yeah. And what I'm finding, I was having beers with Molly and Logan yesterday, um, and they were talking about the need for married couples and families to have other married couples mm-hmm. and friends. And to that I said, yes, friends, but friendship cannot be the criteria of, of Christian community. And that's, I think hmm. that's the number one millennial mistake, hmm. is that my experience of friendship, the quality of the friendship becomes the condition upon the community, yeah. and therefore my responsibility, my intentionality, and my commitment to it. Because hmm. oh, if it's not there, if I don't like you people, then I'm out. Right. And so I'm going to go find another priest, another parish, another thing. Yeah. And there's something about the dif- difficulty of uh, living in community and uh, being committed to something and a shared vision of life, a shared mission that uh, inconveniences you. And here's a, here's a line from Giassani, and then I'll let you bounce off that. Companionship is that great inconvenience. Companionship is that great inconvenience that breaks these limits. So he's telling the story of he's in this room, he's in this tiny little room, um, and he's like, "What if this is it? What if this was the universe?" You know. So he's talking when he's talking about limitations. It's very Giussani. I love it. Companionship is the great inconvenience that breaks the limitations, breaks the walls, shatters the constraints. It breaks and bursts it, and the companionship allows the heart to glimpse and give and gives the heart an initial taste of the joy of loving. It keeps time from being a constraint that determines one, rendering it an opening that expands limitlessly. So the point of this is to say that companionship, community, friendship is an inconvenience. It's a difficulty. It's a block. It, it, we bump up against the other person, yeah. and uh, it, it, it shatters our illusion of kind of self-perfection, of self-actualization. But then it leads to this more expansive, limitless, you know, encounter with, with yeah. the reality of being. And I think that's, that's what we're missing, you know, when we're kind of locked in our own little worlds, these things. So It is interesting because what is the phrase I heard once? And I, I came into the companions late, and so I'm kind of, I, I feel like I'm learning all these things as I go. But there was something, somebody said one thing about the companions, our, our, our companions of Christ fraternity. Um, there's a difference between the fact that we're all brothers and the companions. Maybe you want to call us that community. But then friendships happen apart from that. So, because I do think it's important to say, in in a certain extent, friendships in in one sense maybe we need to redefine our terms, but should should be a thing of rest, you know, uh, of ease where you're not constantly on guard. But you need to have those relationships as well. So whether it's a family or a community like ours, how do, how do you distinguish between, or maybe to take my parish, you know, I I resist having a mom's group with, with three or four moms that just like each other. Right. And I always say, can you guys please open up to the rest of the parish? Now I, I'm, but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, 
there should be maybe two moms groups. There should be the one that is open to everybody, but then there is the one. I mean, why not let some moms just say, I feel most comfortable, most restful, and most alike these other moms. I'm just using that as an example. Of course, this is all over the place, but there needs to be one sense of community because I know we're going to get feedback on this. There needs to be one sense of community that is hard, you know, that that is a struggle, that is, um, what's the image, Um, the grindstones, Mm -hmm. you know, forming each other. there needs to be that one sense where, where it's a struggle, it's hard, and, and it's laborsome, and it's self-sacrificial. And then you also, I think, though, need to have those relationships that where you do, you just rest. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and it's, it's leisure time where, where the rest is being fruitful, and then where the, the sacrifice is being fruitful. And those are, in a sense, probably two different communities. Right. And I think these are tensions that um, play out and, and balance differently in every life, in every family, mm-hmm. in every, every parish, every community, you know? Yeah. Because there's something to be said about when you're with your friends, you know? Yeah. I was at the Bixman's last night for dinner, and I was like, I told him, I was like, this is Bethany. Hmm. This is like, Jesus is not with the boys. He goes to Bethany to just rest and be with them. And that's what it felt like. It was just like, this is just wonderful. Hmm. It's such a gift. And there are people like that in our life. And and I'm not saying just, you know, neutralize that and bring everybody in, because there's something about the intentional. But... I don't know, mid-30s, you're out of the college thing, you're out of the kind of the 20s thing, you're settled into the vocation a bit. Friendships are not, it's a bit disenchanting. Because yeah. the, the world of when, you were, when I was 25 and everybody's going to be friends forever, it doesn't really work. Right. And uh, people move on and people leave and people get divorced and people leave the priesthood and there's falling outs, yeah. there's brokenness and weakness, much more in my life than yours. Mm-hmm. But uh, these things happen. And you got to kind of navigate that. That's part of the adventure of of loving is that you experience the poverty. But most of us just, we have so much, we have so many possibilities now to check out of that and just to say, I'm punting on the whole relationship thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This goes back to the parish thing. I mean, how many, how many, you know, we've talked about this before. I don't know if we've done a podcast on it, but, but parishes just aren't the same. Like no, nobody, you're not committed to a parish anymore. It's so easy to leave. And, and as a pastor, this, this aches my heart because I do have one parishioner. He's he's going to be my advisory board. Who who has said like I don't understand people leaving Colorado for work. We've lost so many parishioners just because people leave the state. Right. And he says I have this is my community here, my parish. You know, we we've had parishioners that moved from an hour away from the parish to ten minutes away from the parish just to be close to the parish right. and all the sacrifices that go along with it. I mean, I love that, but that there there is a. I don't like that one homily. I didn't like that one confession. I didn't like that way that person looked at me. And and it it is acceptable under those circumstances to just leave rather than 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 talk it out. And I mean, I, I'm not saying under no circumstances should you leave a parish. Absolutely not. But I think it, in general, people feel that freedom, to, if you want to call it that, to leave, and they're just going to find a home somewhere else. And then if something happens there, they're going to move on again. How how do you how do you define what situations in a in a community parish whatever where that you need to slog through push through sacrifice through and then the ones where you just need to finally pull the trigger on yeah. saying it huge questions yeah. and I, I unfortunately don't have the answer and to I don't I don't want to get off yeah. your topic no I'm you're just... good um, what I love about Giussani is that he he loves the questions uh, just as much as the answers if not more and yeah. he's got this great line where he pulled from there's certain things you hear like they're just kind of in the geo things. So this is from Reinhold Nurberg, who he, he did studies on. Uh, he said, nothing is more incredible as an answer to an unasked question. Hmm. 
And I think a lot of times we're doing that, and especially around the question of community and friendship in the church, is we're, we're not asking the questions. And so t- if we're doing anything today, we're raising the question. And there's this line about um, from the book to close this section with the, the inconceivability of, of the lone Christian. Hmm. One of Giussani's students said, this is what he taught us, the inconceivability of the lone Christian, of living the Christian, Christian faith by yourself. Yeah. So anyways, this is just about the question, you know. But we got to move on from that, unfortunately. Okay, so let's do it. Part two, and this will go quicker because I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> the neuroscience of community. So Dr. Stephanie Bielo is a, um, a neurobiologist at the University of Glasgow, lives in Edinburgh with her family. Her boys listen to the podcast, and that's nice. how she came about. She didn't know anything about the companions okay. um, in terms of practically when she gave us this conference. But by the end, we were kind of laughing because it was like, mm-hmm. you're proving scientifically <laughs> what we're trying to do. Nice. And she's just fan- she's wonderful, wonderful uh, to be with. We really enjoyed it. But here's how she started to talk. She said, uh, we're built for community and relationships, and we can't escape this. Relationships influence the brain more than any other factor, more than drugs, more than what we eat, whether we meditate or not, whether we exercise, whether we are challenged physically. Relationships influence the way your brain works, how your cells are physically connected, how good they are at talking to each other, how often they generate new nerve cells, and how long you... Uh, your brain cells keep functioning more than any other single factor, Hmm. relationships, community. Isn't that crazy? So scientifically, we can say that the human body, the human person is structured for relationship, and without that, it doesn't function well. And she gave us this staggering point where she said, um, not living in in community, and she kind of goes into specifics of what that looks like, is more dangerous and more bad for, is worse for your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day being a lifetime alcoholic um never exercising she's like it's actually those things are not as bad as if you're not living in community by yourself yeah. so i sent this to the companions and i wrote that at least settles the uh, score for some of us <laughs> you know, nobody responded so <laughs> i think it took it was taking a bit of time to process but you know that that I, I believe it. I, when you were mentioning this upstairs, it didn't it didn't strike me as much as just now because there's something like w- on Earth we have all these things. We have money. We have we have we have stuff. I mean, there, there's all these these things other than what we have in heaven. What do we have in heaven? God and each other. That's what we have. And so, like, if if we start investing here on Earth and the things that we'll have in heaven, namely God and each other, it makes sense. I mean, I, I was I mentioned I asked my kids yesterday. We yesterday we uh, the day before we began a great fast in the East in the Byzantine Catholic Church. I asked my kids what were Adam and Eve lacking in the Garden of Eden. You know, like we we think of the Garden of Eden as paradise. They were, they were lacking something. And then I compared it to my phone mm-hmm. because like I, I covered up the Apple logo on my iPhone with with our Sophia Montessori sticker. But I, I asked the kids, you know what what is behind this logo? And they said, well, it's an apple. I said, so, so in other words, the devil came to Adam and Eve and convinced them that they were lacking something that they were not lacking. Mm-hmm. And they had everything they wanted. Paradise is perfect. The devil in, in, inserted something into their life, a dependency, namely to be like God without God. And then they were unhappy. And he convinced them that they were unhappy in a situation where they were actually very happy. And that's exactly what, in my opinion, what my iPhone does, in yeah. all honesty. Like, I didn't need this seven years ago. Now I do. If yeah. I had to go without my phone, I don't think I could do it. So the devil inserted a need where there was no need. Apple has inserted a need into my life that where there was no need. It is, right. it is, it is brought in a dependency. And so if you look at that, we, what did God offer us? He offered us himself and he offered us each other. Anything else 
is, is, is distracting and can be evil. So this is why I think community is so essential. You know, if you don't have each other in a real intentional human community based upon Christ, then you're, you're not living, you're not participating in the most basic acts, um, aspects of our Christianity, of our life that will extend into heaven. Yeah. I won't have my iPhone in heaven. I won't have my, my car in heaven. I will have my brother and my sister in heaven. And so that makes sense that if I'm, you know, smoking, drinking, and using those to cover up my loneliness, then yeah, that that it's going to be the worst. Same thing. Living alone is 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 distracting from real life and my real faith. I was talking to, um, well, uh, Father Matt upstairs, and he was telling me about this guy Ninja, who's like mm. the best uh, Fortnite, Fortnite player in yep. the world. Yeah, and he was saying Ninja makes five hundred thousand dollars a month, and the reason he makes five hundred thousand dollars is just because he plays and people watch it. Yeah. And people send him money. Yeah, and I was like, what is going on here? This is so interesting. You're you're escaping yeah. into a virtual world because you want to get away from the hurts and the pains of human relationships, right? Yeah. And so you find this escape, and you just you don't have to worry about it anymore. But your heart is made for relation; it's constructed for relationship. So you get so connected to Ninja to him, yeah, that you want to send him, you want to give him something. Yeah. So he people are sending him money yeah. just because. There's some connection, and yeah. it, so it just shows how, like, we literally can't get away from this. This the the way that we're existentially constructed constructed yeah. for community and for relationship, even when we're escaping into the most virtual yeah. of realities. I had a parishioner. I don't think she listens, but she she left the parish, and she she and I didn't know this. She just stopped coming, and one of my other parishioners walked up to me and said to said to me, "This person left the parish." And then we were at a, we were at a parish a non parish event, and that other person was there that left the parish. And so she called her over and said, "Come here." And she said to me, "This woman standing right in front of you left your parish." And I said, "I had I just, she had missed she had missed two weeks. I didn't think much of it." So I so then the the woman who introduced us walked off, and I said to her, "Can I ask you why you left the parish?" And she said, "Do you really want to have this conversation right now?" I said, "Yeah." And she gave these reasons, all very surface reasons, you know, right. kind of this, this, this. And then at the end of it, I just, I, the Holy Spirit put it in my mind, I just need to say it. And I said, okay, I'd really like it if you'd stay. I'd really like it if you'd stay in the parish. And let's go get a drink some point and talk about the other, these other details one more time. And that she's like, okay, fine. Like it, it only took, like it wasn't those surface things. It was some sort of a, an engagement of community with, I invited her back in in a very personal way. And then we worked it out later on and she's back. Well, yeah, it, it. it was, it, the surface things didn't matter. It was just that, that personal engagement and that need for community that, that she had to hear. I want you here. You yeah. know, it sounds so corny, but it was true. And we all need that. It is, it is true. And that's actually a good lead into the, um, what Dr. Bielo said are the, uh, kind of the qualities or the themes for, when we when they what they've studied neurologically, um, that's just good for the brain. What are, what are the themes or the qualities of the community that we're looking for? Okay. And the first one you just tapped into with that, with that friend, uplifting, consistent, and transparent. Hmm. Those are the three. So the first one is interesting. We were kind of all laughing about this. Uh, uplifting, positive versus negative, um, five to one ratio. Hmm. You got to say five positive to one negative. Wow. So we were joking about Coop fraternally corrected me on something. I was like, all right. You get you just <laughs> you got five more today to get back, um, but there's something about the strength of emotion and memory and kind of the she's talking about the amygdala and hippocampus, and, which is a great band by the way, yeah. hippocampus. But um, she said it's just you have to live in that kind of active gratitude uh, to, to, in order to cultivate the place where we're going to continue to be more vulnerable. So and then consistency, which means literally there just has to be um, time and repetition for these kind of 
new connections to be formed and the way that the brain is kind of the neuroplasticity of the brain kind of constantly changing and it's just the consistency of relationship has to be there and then and then transparency which was really good um and she was talking about the connections between the frontal cortex and the amygdala but basically the need for vulnerability um which as Brene brown tells us looks like fear and weakness but is actually a, a very courageous act and really good for the brain yeah so if you're not in relationships that are uplifting consistent and transparent uh you're damaging your brain yeah it's bad for your 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 brain your body and these things um your body goes into this parasympathetic uh i don't even know what i'm saying fight or flight mode basically yeah. it goes into survival mode when you're not when you're not with other people and when you're living in fear because you've been hurt and you pull away from community pull away from people yeah. even if you're pulling away into goods like i'm gonna circle the wagons with our little family yeah. you know and we're going to become our little thing and we're going to pull from the parish or we don't like you know we feel hurt by father michael so we're going to go find another priest to do our you know sacraments or whatever it's yeah. like that you're going into fight or flight mode and your yeah. body can't handle that fight or like living in fight or flight because if you think about it from whatever ten thousand bc when we're um you know hunting and gathering before we're you know starting to uh, settle into farms like we're doing it in community yeah and we're we got a band together and if you're not you're you're gonna die yeah. you know so it's still in us it's still physically part of us because so, so, so say those again affirmating or not not affirmative but what's uh, the, uplifting uplifting consistent and, and transparent. transparent like if you look at the way that abusers work they abuse in all three of those areas i'm just yeah. thinking as a pastor that the stories i hear you know, th- there's obviously just belittling, 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 and it's not uplifting at all. That's rare, um, and th- they might they might be uplifting as a as an act of manipulation. You know, to if they see the person about to leave or to break, they're going to be uplifting just to kind of draw them back in, and then uh, consistent. I mean, that's what they say about about having an alcoholic parent. You know, you just, right. they're going to come home from work. You have no idea if they're going to be loving or hate. You have like your behavior does not matter to their reaction. They're going to react. D- d- whether doesn't matter how how you are acting or what you're doing at the time, they're going to react differently every day. There's no consistency, and then of course transparent. I mean, there's there the, when you hide something. This is um, you know, I many many couples in the first couple of years of their marriage say that there's one person gets frustrated because the other one doesn't seem like they're sharing enough. What happened in your day? I was good. You know, they, they, now that doesn't mean that's bad, but they just, they don't feel that they're being transparent enough. There's, I want I want you to share everything with me and you're, and it seems like you're either in your own head or hiding something and, and the lack of transparency perceived can, can be a, a, yeah. a red flag or a, or a deal breaker. And these things, it's an art form. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we work at these, we work at this constantly in the companions about, how, what does it mean to be authentically vulnerable or transparent? Yeah. You know, like, like these are, you know, this is hard stuff. Yeah. It's hard stuff, especially when you, you get older and you carry wounds and you, you see why people just punt on this stuff. Yeah. They punt on one of those three and then something in them dies and then they start to, you try and kind of, the body tries to work it out. And the you body, believe that's the body never lies. That's what this Australian would always tell me. This uh, Australian psychologist priest, the body never lies. He would always say that. And it's true. It's like, it's got to work itself out somewhere. So, she gave this amazing appeal, practical evidence at the end. She said, "Listen, you guys are priests. I know you're, um, you know, you're married to the church, and that you're, you know, you're supernaturally configured to Christ. That doesn't matter. From a, she's like, from a biological point of view, you can't say, well, I'm never alone. I'm with Jesus.' It's yeah. like, well, that's a supernatural reality, right? But that doesn't just take away nature. Yeah, He puts us in community. That's why there's a church. That's why there's a parish. That's why we're supposed to be living in community together. And that's what we're about. So." Thanks to Dr. Biela for that. And thanks to Giassani for being, um, having the courage 
in a time when it would have been extremely controversial. Yeah. Um, we're raising these questions now. I think it's much more kind of aware, but 1950s in Milan, you know, the guy was all over it. And he created something that I think was revolutionary and is having, yeah. still having huge effects in the world. And so he's worth reading. The biography is very long, but uh, it's an inspiration. Can you spell his name? I know people are going to ask. G-I-U-S-S-A-N-I. Cool. Yeah, he goes by Don Juice. Is the, okay. uh, everything gets shortened <laughs> in the Italian. So we'll just close from a line that Dr. Bielo said. This is from Aristotle, uh, from his politics. Man is by nature a social animal. Anyone who either cannot lead the common life or is so self-sufficient as to not need it is either a beast or a god. Wow. Man is by nature a social animal. Anyone who either cannot lead the common life or is so self-sufficient as to not need it is neither a beast. Is either a beast or a god. Wow. If that doesn't say it, <laughs> whether theologically or biologically, uh, this is it. So, anyways, uh, we don't have the answers, but we hope that this is a kind of a compelling uh, thing to be thinking about and uh, raising the questions in your families, in your parishes, and in your friendships. So, you know, we need to we need to do another podcast on the on the practical aspects of this because. I mean, I think people are going to love it because yeah. I do. But yeah. I bet it's we have. I mean, we have something here with the companions that not that just people really want to have. And I'm, I'm sure we've done something like that. But I just need to put more thought into it. I'd, I'd love to. Well, let's keep thinking on it. Future, yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. Some shout outs, real quick. I don't have any. You don't Actually, have any. Oh man, I, I have just a, looked at my phone. Okay, so go ahead. I haven't podcasted in a while, so I got a few. So first off, just to Dr. Stephanie Bielo and her family, um, I want to promise her I won't be drinking Abalor anymore. She told me a very funny story about that. I'll tell you when we're not recording <laughs> nice. about that. But her neuroscience of community talk was super compelling, and just the witness of her life uh, with her husband Pierre and the the boys, just a great family. So thank you for that. I'd like to shout out a couple of my students. So Emily brought me Sour Patch Kids on the first day. That was great. Um, Cosden. Uh, married to Katie recently, big fan, listened for a long time. Now he doesn't listen anymore because uh, we've become friends, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Um, of course, Kat Stoltz, who I don't know if listens, but oh, is the I love sweetest Kat. girl yes. in the world who was your old spiritual directee. Yeah. Uh, and then a shout-out to a couple people. Um, Matt Miller, uh, seminarian for Duluth. His sister just had a baby. Henry, I believe is the name. So uh, his sister and brother-in-law listen to the podcast. So nice. congrats to them. Sarah Bloom, podcast listener. Just got engaged to a guy named John. Cool. Uh, another podcast listener up in Alaska. So grateful for, for them as well. And, um, and then lastly, to CJ Mast, Deacon CJ yes. and his dad, uh, who listens. And then I met this wonderful couple with them yesterday. I'm really sorry for forgetting names. I think his name is Kieran and his wife, but wonderful people up in Loveland, Colorado. Uh, and so just, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll cut it there. But uh, just meeting great people all over the place. So we Absolutely. always love it when you guys write in or when we get a chance to meet you. Yep. All right, dude. Thanks, y'all. Great to podcast with yeah, you. Yeah, we don't do this enough. I'm uh, back to Rome in a few days, uh, but then I'm back in June. That's it. So in a few days, I'm going to get my next assignment and then uh, see where really? it goes. Yeah, it's the next few days. That's the hope. So Sweet. we got a big meeting tomorrow. So we'll keep you posted on these things, and uh, we'll try and keep Global in line as well. Remember, tell him five to one positive. <laughs> <laughs> Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.